0: I'm going to talk about rebuilding the ruins uh, this morning, and we're going to be doing that over the next this whole year. We're going to be starting laying down the foundations in our lives that really need to be there. That the foundations that sh- that cannot be shaken. That are the foundations in the Word of God. Uh, when we <clears throat> when the shaking stops, what next? It's time to rebuild. And a lot of times we don't really understand exactly what. Um, what is going on in our lives until uh, the shaking takes place and it unsettles the stuff that is shakeable, and we are left with the stuff that is not shakeable. And I think sometimes God allows uh, trials and tribulations of many kinds to come on our lives so that he can show us, because he doesn't need to know because he already knows, we are the ones who don't know, so that he can show us exactly what is foundational in our lives, what are the things in our lives that need to be uh, fortified and the things that in our lives we need to take the pressure off. Sometimes we, we get so caught up with so much stuff and, and God looks and he says, why are you doing this stuff? Why, why are you so caught up with this stuff? And uh, he says, this stuff is not eternal stuff. This stuff is not important stuff. And we don't see it because we've listened to a world that told us that those things that we are actually doing are important. We've got our values and our priorities all messed up. And so he's actually telling us, you know, the only thing that's going to actually get through to you so that you understand what is real and what is not real is a a good shaking so that you can see the things that remain are the things that you should be building on and the things that don't remain are the things that you should have a a light hold on. And so when we go through a time of shaking, uh, you know, God often shows us those things that are permanent and those things that are not permanent. Um, last year, about this time last year, I, I preached a sermon on the shaking that was about to come. And uh, that was pr- a couple of weeks before we had floods. And, and our fellowship as such went through an incredible shaking last year. And God actually taught us a lot of things through that. So if you go to Hebrews, so you can see it up there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 28, we, we, we read these words. And it says to us there, it says, uh, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who, who, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven um, in Hebrews, The book of Hebrews was a book of warning to the Hebrew believers. The Hebrew believers had found faith in Christ, they had left their Judaistic roots, they had left their confidence in the law. In terms of uh, doing and, uh, all the rituals of the Judaistic law, and they had put their faith in Jesus. After a period of time and some persecution that had affected the the church, from especially at the beginning, from the Jewish. Uh, their Jewish brothers and sisters and then from the Romans, they began to waver in their faith in Jesus. They began to waver in terms of is it right you know, at least when we were doing Judaism, we were doing things that ritualistically that we could have solid foundation in. At least they had a sense of security there in terms of the performance of their rituals. And the writer to the Hebrews actually comes and says to them, Listen, don't leave this confidence that you have in Christ. That's of great uh, eternal consequence. Don't leave it. And he warns them through the whole book of, Ephesia, uh, of the whole book of uh, Hebrews not to leave their faith, not to turn away from their faith. And he's and this um, this is this passage of scripture in, in Hebrews chapter twelve actually says tells us that he warns them that that they need to hang on to the thing that is unshakable. He says, "At a time he shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will not shake only the earth but the heavens. You see, he was referring to the time when they were in the, Isra- the Israelites were in the wilderness, and they, they came to Mount Sinai, and there on Mount Sinai, God revealed the Ten Commandments to Moses. And as they came up to the mountain, the place was shaking. It was an awesome sight. And, the, and, and even if an animal touched the side of the mountains, the animal was stoned. It was a fearful place and a great shaking about that. And, and Moses warned them from the mountain to maintain the law of God and to maintain their devotion towards God. And as Moses warned them, and there was a time of shaking then, he's saying, look, if Moses warned you and God was faithful and fulfilling you know the consequences of, of um of not listening to the warning that came from Moses, he will also shake us with shaking the heaven, and he's warning us again not to lose our confidence in our faith. He says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God accepted with reverence and fear. You see, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. So if you've shaken, if something in your life has been shaken over the last year, if your life has been set in turmoil and the foundations of your life have disappeared then maybe the foundations of your life were not right at the first part. The things that happen to us in this present time, the things that happen to us under the circumstances that before us as we're living in the last days should not shake us because our lives are built upon a foundation that cannot be shaken. The foundation is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God lives within us. The kingdom of God is within us, and so within us, we cannot be shaken. It doesn't matter what happens around us. We went to New Zealand the day after a major shake took place in New Zealand. Uh, what, what was it, the day after Christmas, I think, or something like that? And um, a certain amount of, um, you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to be, be there? And then Jenny's sort of saying, well, if we die together, we die together. You know, that's okay. You know, <laughs> it's all right. And they climb onto the airplane, and it's... <gasps> Are we are we gonna die now? Maybe, but we'll do it together, hey Jenny. Yes, we'll do it together. As long as we do it together, that's what's important, hey Jen. (laughs) But you know, we didn't die and here we are. God is good. But God is good because the the permanent foundation is good in God and and the things that He lays in our lives are solid and sure. The foundation that we have on the inside with Jesus on the inside is a sure foundation and it cannot be shaken. We've been doing a study through, through um, uh, Isaiah 61. In that passage of Scripture, Isaiah 61, we, we read that uh, Jesus saying, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach the good news. And, and you, we, we got some great strength out of that towards the end of last year with regard to recognizing that God has also anointed us with the Holy Spirit, filled us with the Holy Spirit, that we too should preach the gospel to those who are out. And um, as you go through that passage, we got up to verse 4. Well, actually, I didn't preach verses 3 because we just had a different sharing time at the end of last year. But in verse 4, we read this passage. It says here in verse 4, um, And they shall rebuild. He's talking about the people that Jesus preaches to and the people that Jesus causes to be um, strengthened by his grace, the people that stand up like trees of oaks in uh, in righteousness, he said, "These people shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The desolation of many generations." Now, it's a prophetic word that's coming from Isaiah, talking about the Israelites and how they're coming back into Israel and they're coming back to reestablish the city of Jerusalem again, as as happened in 1948. We know that that was fulfilled then, but it's it's further than just a. a, a uh, prophetic word to the Israelites, because it, it's it's to those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's to those that Jesus came to preach. Jesus came to preach to us, and in Luke he said, "This Scripture is now fulfilled in your, your your ears." I'm the one the Spirit of the Lord is on, and I'm going to preach the gospel. And we Gentiles were included in that whole exercise. We Gentiles were part of that in gathering. So we Gentiles have a part in the scripture prophetically. We will raise up ancient foundations. We as Gentiles will will raise up the former desolations. We shall repair the ruined cities. And I think that it's more evident today, the need for this is more evident than ever before. Uh, If you go through um, and you look at what's happened in our society, and I've been doing a bit of reading and, and, and studying about that while I've been away, and... And looking at how our society has been broken down, continuously broken down, the moral moral fiber of our society is being corroded. Christianity is not what it used to be. Christianity is not what it was in the New Testament. You know the people in the New Testament they stood up, they would die for their faith. Christians today are, are, are so careful not to say the wrong thing lest they offend you. You know Christianity has become so soft these days that it, it becomes quite you know quite offensive to people that people would actually stand up and speak the word of god to point where they'd get a sock in the mouth you know well We'll get used to it. I mean, I think that we're going to have to learn to stand in a place where we speak the word, even though it's not politically correct, even though there's people around us thinking that we're actually being dogmatic and, and being over the top. You know, when we uphold the, the word of God, the morals of the, of the word of God, the fiber of the word of God, the teaching, the commandments of God, you're going to expect that an atheistic, angry world that's going to hell is going to actually say, shut up, we don't want to hear what you have to say. And if the church bows to that sort of nonsense, if the church bends down to that sort of nonsense and and, and sits down and says, okay, we won't say anything. We'll just just keep it to ourselves in the back room. We have a church in ruins. And it's that ruined church that we have to address. We ourselves as a fellowship must rebuild the ancient foundations of God's word, if not within this fellowship, just within within our society. I think the rebuilding starts with the rebuilding in us where we have to start saying, you know, I have to stand up. We've heard that this morning. You need, we need to stand. We need to come and, and to a place where we stand. We get so in love with Jesus that he's the most important one in our lives. He is all that there is. And you can't take him away from me. I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to speak about him. I'm going to sing about him. I'm going to preach him. I'm going to talk about all that Jesus can do because it's the truth. And if Jesus becomes unpopular and if you want to kill me because of Jesus, well, then go right ahead because that's the way it is. And to rebuild those foundations, we have to rebuild within ourselves that kingdom that is not fearful of being killed. You can kill the body, but you can't kill the spirit. And you can't kill what God has done. You cannot take it away. It's solid. It's unshakable. You can burn me at the stake, but at the end, of the, my soul source to be with Jesus. You cannot destroy what's in me. And that's the foundation that we're going to build over the year. That's the thing that we're looking at to reestablish through this year but there are three enemies to the reestablishment of this foundations in our lives the world the flesh and the devil this is like a trinity of evil you have a trinity god father god the son god the holy spirit here we have a trinity of evil with regard to this this age the world the flesh and the devil these are the ones that have corroded and pulled down and destroyed the house. The house has been destroyed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you tried to rebuild the foundations, you come in conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You you immediately are addressing the one who's ripping down. You're saying, hey, listen, now this ripping down is going to stop. We found out the stones that are permanent and that are lasting, and we are going to rebuild. As soon as you start to rebuild... You run into it. Like Nehemiah run into Sanballat, Tobiah and Gershon when he rebuilt the the walls of Nehemiah and each one of those men that came and opposed Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah, each one of them is a type of this, the world, the flesh and the devil. Each one of them tried to stop the the rebuilding of the thing. And that, look, when we start in our own lives to rebuild those ancient foundations, those moral codes, those 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 foundational stones of relationship with God, you know. do you think the devil's going to sit there and say, okay, well, that's nice for you. Go right ahead. The minute you start to stand and say, I'm going forward, I'm going to rebuild, the enemy will stand up and say, over my dead body. You know what he says? He says, I want you to be laying on your back, completely demoralized. I want you to be defeated. I want you to be destroyed. I want you to be completely hopelessly lost with a complete lack of faith. I want you to be destroyed. That's his intent. And the minute you stand up and say, I'm going to fight, I'm going to, I'm going to move on, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, your first enemies are these three. The world, the flesh and the devil are going to come up, you sit uh, over our dead bodies. You think you're going to stand up and fight? You have to fight us first. So let's have a look at these three enemies that come against us. <clears throat> I think that it, <clears throat> the wor- first one... <clears throat> Excuse me. The world, the major idea of world is not so much worldliness. I think worldliness is what comes from the world, but it's apathy. Apathy is the thing that really destroys the focus of Christians. Apathy. You know, I've read a lot of um, uh, material while I was away of 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 men who are who are worldly men, who are godless men, who are not Christians who talk about the apathy of our society as our society continues down a road which is self-destructive and that, that they say good people say nothing about it are completely apathetic. He says, they say it's not the fact that there's evil around us that's the problem. The problem is that good people who have good things to say don't say the good things that they say and they are apathetic at the increase of wickedness. That's why it takes on. That's why it goes so far because there's no one standing up. We're apathetic. It, it, we, 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 we look at the book of Revelation and we go to the the, um, the third chapter and we read about the last church. The angel of the church, to the, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen and the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is Jesus speaking to the, church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea is considered to be the church that typifies the last days, the church in the last days. Now we know that all of the different churches, the seven churches in the book of Revelation, speak to us about conditions in the church today. So in a, in a strange way, they all are speaking to the church today. And in a, in, a, in a particular way, this last church speaks about the church that is today. So it's not like the others don't speak to us, they do speak to us. But this very carefully speaks to us about the apathy that is in the world today. He says uh, to him, I know your deeds. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. And I think today we have that so clearly, you know, tolerance. It's, it's, It's the idea of our society, tolerance. Humanism is great on tolerance. You know, The idea that you should allow other people to have their opinions, because everything is just opinions. There's no absolute truth anymore. It's just an opinion. So your opinion is that Jesus is the Son of God. That's nice opinion. You're happy. Have your opinion. Your opinion is that, 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 uh, that Buddha is the way to go. That's fine. That's a nice opinion. You can have your opinion. Everybody can have their opinion. But let's all be tolerant with one another. Let's not get too upset about those things. Let's not hold those views too strongly. Just be... Not hot or cold, just be kind of lukewarm in the middle, you know. Okay, that's what opinion does. So it's okay, it's your opinion. Listen, there are some things that aren't opinion. There are some things that are truth. And when it comes to truth, you don't hold an opinion. Truth is truth. Truth is, is non-negotiable. Jesus is the Son of God, truth. Jesus is the creator of the universe, truth. Jesus is the way of salvation, the only way of salvation, truth. these are truth these are unmovable these are not negotiable these are truths these are truths the 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 church of god born blood church of god is the way that is the one that are bringing salvation to the world truth we are to preach the gospel that's the truth if we don't preach how will they hear that's what the word of god says that's the truth not negotiable you know the world says just settle down you know settle down let's not just let's let's see if we can get all some sort of moral code together you know some universal agreement together on these things that the buddhists believe certain things you know they believe you know you shouldn't do to other people what you shouldn't do to yourself type thing you know so that's kind of like christians do unto others is you don't have to do them we've got some common ground here you know we we all think it's it's good thing to be nice to your your parents and honor your ancestors and stuff like that so we've got some common ground there let's look at all the stuff we've got common and let's just focus on the common ground let's be tolerant but there are some things that we can't be tolerant about Jesus is the only way of salvation we've got to be intolerant about that I mean it's, it's not that we're going to kill anybody to but that but you're going to die for that you're going to die for that because you're not going to accept a mediocre life a life of holiness is considered to be an essential without holiness you will not see God it's not something you can just sort of put on to the side. And Well, you know, well, what is holiness? Holiness is what Jesus says holiness is. Immorality is still immorality. It, it never changed, you know. Our, our society said, you know, cohabiting is okay. That's fine. You know, you can live, in, live with somebody before you get married. Marriage has become the consolidator of marriage, uh, of a relationship, rather than the beginning of a relationship. It consolidates a relationship. And, and we believe that rubbish and we go on and just... I mean, there are some things that are not negotiable. That's called immorality, sexual immorality, cohabiting together. Oh, you'll be offending people who are living here together. I don't care. I don't want to offend you, but I want the word of God to be true and every man to be a liar. There are some things that are not negotiable in life. And these are the things that we've got to be hot on. Can't be cold on those things. And Jesus goes on to say... uh, So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus considers this situation as being a dangerous place. Apathy, mediocrity, a sense of uh, lethargy. He says it's a dangerous place. If the church just dropped into an apathetic state, If we are mediocre, we don't really know what we believe. We don't really care what we believe. It's not really important to us anymore. Just love one another. If that's what it is for us, and love is being nice to each other and not not telling or speaking the truth, just sort of letting everything go. If we got to that place where it's just so lukewarm that there's no right or wrong anymore, there's no left or right anymore, if it's just all smooth, God help us because in the end of the day we are most deceived and he will spew us out of his mouth. He will spit us from his mouth. We need to stand up and reestablish the foundations on which we were born. The foundations of holiness and righteousness and those things that God says are important. We need to build those foundations again. We need to know and understand why we hold those beliefs. We need to hold those beliefs with everything that we've got because the devil is at work to destroy it. The world is trying to water us down through TV and media and through every other, it just tries to wash over us over and over again. So don't believe it. You're too hard in your beliefs. Believing is just too... Believe it. You know, how many times did you last year feel that taking Jesus along the right road, the hard roads were just too hard? How many times did you get, stand up and say, look, at this Christian life is just too hard because the rest of the world is going this way and I have to swim this way. It's just too hard. How many times did you feel that last year? I felt it just about every day. It was just too difficult. Going for Jesus was just too... I had to die daily to do the things that Jesus wanted me to do. Why? Because the world doesn't want you to do it. The world says, be apathetic. He'll throw everything at us to convince us to slow down, to ease up, to settle down, to cool off, so that we don't have so much hassle in our lives. Take it easy. Don't be so over the top. Don't be so dogmatic. Don't be so articulate about what you believe. Just settle down, get along with everybody. If you get along with it, it'll be all fine in the end. It won't be all fine in the end. We'll all go to the same place. Jesus very clearly says to them, I am not happy with the lukewarm condition. I'm not happy with apathy. And if we are going to build foundations again this year in our lives of permanence, we need to shack off, throw off apathy. Apathy cannot work with us. This is what it says in Revelation chapter, uh, next verse along, verse 17. He says, you say I am rich. This is what the, the world says. Says I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, but you do not realise and this is the church that's become apathetic. Oh, we're rich, we've acquired wealth, look at us look at our wonderful buildings. But you do not realise that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. God's view of things is not the way we see things. You know, We've lived and been brought up in an American world that says, you know, pragmatically, if it's big and it looks glossy, it's right. That's what we've been trained to think. We've been trained to think and judge by appearances, not with a righteous judgment. We've been trained to value things by how we see things. We look at things and we say, look at, look at it. Actually, look at it. It's, it's good. It's, it's huge. It's, it's shiny. It's glossy. It's making a lot of noise. It looks like a whole lot of people are agreeing with it. You know what? It doesn't matter if there are thousands agreeing with it. If it's not the way of God, it's not the way of God. That argument, because so many people can't be wrong, would mean that the, the Muslim faith is validated. Islam is, is validated. There's millions of them. There's millions of Buddhists. There's millions of Hindu, Hindus. doesn't make them right. We get this idea that because we look at it, it's wealthy, it's, it's glossy, it's shiny. We look at the church and it seems to be so... You know, the, the end of the exercise is... Is is the heart the same place where Jesus' heart is? Is the truth the same? Is the word of God being lived out in the same sort of holiness? Is Is the Holy Spirit working in their lives and is he working and controlling? If it's not happening like that, it doesn't matter what you say. Your perception of the thing is different to what Christ's perception is. And that is a dangerous thing. He tells us in this, Passage of scripture, Jesus says to the church, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich, white clothes to wear so that you cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. He tells us three things that we can purchase from Jesus, and I like that because Jesus doesn't say to us to do stuff. I mean, the first uh, church he talks to, the church of Ephesus, he says, Do the deeds that you forgot that he tells us to do stuff. He's not telling this church to do stuff. He's telling them, buy from me. There's a dependency here. Develop a different dependency. He says, you got, you got a, this church that thinks it's going someplace all on its own strength and on its own riches and all on its own merit, you need to stop now and you need to come to me and buy something from me. He says, buy gold refined in the fire. What's gold refined? You know, what's buying something from Jesus? i tell you, it's a prayer life. We need to get on our knees and develop a prayer life. That's the only way you're going to purchase something from Jesus. The only way you're going to get something, come and ask for it from him. Get on your knees and start seeking God. You're so dependent. You need to get to Jesus and ask Jesus for this because you won't get it otherwise. You get it from Jesus. And how do you get it? You've got to go to Jesus, get on your knees before him and beg God, give me gold refined by fire. Do you want to pray that prayer? What's gold refined in fire? Gold refined in fire is obedience under the test. When the test is on, do you have the character to obey when everything else tells you not to obey, when everything in your body tells you to disobey, when everything around you says, go the other way, are you going to obey? You can't do that by yourself. You can't do that by yourself. You need Jesus to help you. Get on your knees. Jesus, help me to obey. Jesus, I need gold refined in the fire. I need to have gold refined. In the fire. Get on your knees and say, God, help me every day to obey you, not to disobey you, but to do the right thing. Help me to obey you, Jesus. Get on your knees and get some righteousness from Jesus. What's Jesus? White clothes. Lord Jesus, help me to live in your righteousness. Help me to live right, Jesus. Help me to be right, do right. Is that your prayer every day? Lord, help me to be right. It's got to be right. Is that your passion and your heart? It's got to be right. Or you just say, oh, well, you know, we'll just do whatever, you know. No, it's got to be right. It has to be governed by God's righteousness. Get on your knees and find out what's right before God. God, lead me, give me clothes of righteousness. He's going to clothe you in his righteousness. Yes, no, but you, you need to live in that righteousness. You need to stand up in that righteousness. You need to wear that righteousness out. You Need to go into the marketplace and be righteous in the marketplace. And that may cost you something to be righteous. You need to get that from Jesus. He says, I salve," because obviously this church is blind, it can't see, it's naked, you can't see its own nakedness. So you buy from me I self. Salve is anointment. You rub it in your eyes, it helps your eyes to see. If you've got a problem in your eyes, you need I self. They they put ointment on their eyes and that it helped them to see clearly. And Jesus says, by myself, you, you don't see the way things are. If your appetite is one of constant television, you watch every movie that comes out, if you read all the going trendy little books, fashion magazines, high school girl, dolly magazines for kids... If you, if you are filling your life with every media that's coming from this world, you are filling your eye gate, your mind gate, with everything that the world is telling you. And if you're spending a minimal amount of time in the Word of God, don't be surprised if the way you see things is not the way that Jesus sees things. Because after a little bit of time, your mind is going to be warped. You're going to start to be warped the way you think. You, it will just sneak on you slowly. Line upon line and precept upon precept, the distortion will come in. Till the end of the thing, you will not see things as the Word of God says. So you'll pick up the Bible and you'll read the Bible and you'll look down at the Word of God and the Word of God will see clearly one, two, three. And you'll say, you know what? That's a bit hard. I can't really handle that. You know, I have a, a different view. And so you'll close the book and you'll go on in your blindness. Iself, Jesus, help me to see with your eyes. Make it a, a prayer in the morning, Jesus. help me to see with your eyes. Get up in the morning and open the Word of God and take the word of God and eat the Word of God. and believe what it says. It's the Word of God. Believe it. Now world else is I? I bet it's just a book. Well, is it? We'll have to deal with that then because that's a foundation. It's not negotiable. It is the Word of God, the iner- iner- inerrant Word of God. Oh, that's been corroded. You don't need that. It's just nice sayings of people, stories in the past. We don't know whether it's right or wrong. you know Post-modernism has done its work. You know, you have been completely hoodwinked. You know, It's all about just being nice to everybody. Well, you've been hoodwinked again. You need clear eyes to see what the Word of God is saying. So you need to get in and pray. Pray those three prayers. God, help me to be obedient. God, help me to live right. God, help me to see as you want me to see. The second thing that we've got to contact is, or, or fight against is the flesh, which is self-centered. The life of the self-centered, self-centered life. Philippians tells us about this. <clears throat> Paul tells us in the, in the book of Philippians, he had a problem with that. <coughs> Excuse me. A group of people called the circumcision. Now, the, 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 the group of people that he had a difficulty were believers, Christian believers who were Jewish, who, who came into the church at the, early, at the beginning. And they remember they had a great debate in, in, in the book of Acts, in the, I think Acts chapter 15, where they were discussing whether it was right that uh, believers, Gentile believers who came into the church needed to be circumcised circumcised they had to go through this little rite of circumcision the guys to actually fulfill or complete their salvation it wasn't enough for you to be saved by the blood of Jesus and by faith in his name it wasn't enough you had to if you were a boy you had to actually front up to the little room at the back of the church uh, where they had their little knives out and they would just do a little operation on you to make you complete you so that you could actually become a Christian. You were not a Christian until you were circumcised. If you don't understand what circumcision is, I'm not going to explain it to you. Go and ask your mother and father later on. But they believe that this little right... What are you laughing about, James? (laughs) They believe that this little right was enough to actually complete the work. So it's all about human effort. The flesh is about human effort. It's about you doing all the things that you have to do. So it's not just faith in Jesus, and it's not just living in a relationship with Jesus. It's actually you actually putting a little bit extra into it. This is what uh, Paul says to the the Philippians. He says, "Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these things to you again, as it's a safeguard for you." So he's actually telling them, "Listen, I'm going to remind you of something that I've told you about before, but I'm going to tell you again because you need to be reminded. Because hey, listen, you keep on forgetting." And sometimes people say to me, Mark, you've already told me that yeah and you know that old people keep on telling you the same things over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm getting old. So and, and sometimes I just tell and my kids tell me, Oh, we've already heard that story, yeah, but just give the old man the chance to be old, you know. Part of the grace of being an old person is the ability to tell a story a thousand times and everybody will smile at you and say, Lovely, as though they've never heard it before. You know, you you tolerate two year olds being Two-year-olds now tolerate an old person being an old person. An older person being an older person. Anyway, so Paul is actually expressing some of his maturity here by saying, I'm going to remind you again of something I told you before. Not because they were immature and didn't get it, because he thought it was good for them to be reminded of it. So he says, watch out. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. So he's actually talking some very strong language there about these believers who are part of this Jewish sect called the circumcision. He called them dogs, the mutilators of the flesh. They'd go on behind him. So he would open up a church. He'd have a, a group of believers like this sitting in the church. He'd move on and, and go to another place to open up the church. And as, as he was moving on, these other guys would come into the church. They would walk into the church and they'd come in and say, well, yeah, actually, Paul's told you that it's justification by faith. You've obviously heard that, but actually, it's not quite like that. If you want to be whole, if you want to be saved, you really have to go through this little rite. And every, All the girls said, by thank you, I'm born a woman. And all the guys said, oh, my goodness. So they would actually introduce this thing. And, and Paul called them dogs, mutilators the of flesh. He says, if you want to know who the circumcision really is, he says... It is we who are the circumcision. And he says the circumcision is not a physical thing that you do. It's the circumcision of the heart. You're cutting away the old things of the heart. So it's the old life gets cut off. You know, the old things that you used to do, you cut them off. That's what gets cut off. It's not something you cut off your body. It's something that you cut out of your heart. And he says, and Jesus cut it out of our hearts at the cross. So you don't have to cut anything. It's all been cut for you. Listen to what he says. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now there are three things here that help us overcome the flesh. And I want to talk to you about those three things. The first thing is we worship by the Spirit of God. Worship is not the fulfillment of duty. So when you came in today, you did not have a certain ritual process that we were going through. And the the service ran as it does, you know, as it does. you know. And we know that if you come to Christian Discipleship Ministries on a Sunday morning, sometimes the meetings are not the same as they are the week before, you know. It's not like we we get everything the same way every time. Like, for instance, Susie wanted to talk about the the things that uh, she was doing in Cambodia, and I just remember that right now. And so... um, (laughs) So that's going to come after I've finished. (laughs) So we know that things are not the same. You know, you just got to roll with this thing. It just has, as it comes, it comes. That's the way it is. So it's not the same. You know, there is no ritual. You go into some churches in the and there's a certain ritual. You know, you go and you bend down and you do this here. You walk so many paces and you do that there and you go and you do over there and then you, then you say these words and he says, and all the people said and they all said the same words and then they, then they do that and it's all the same. And every week it's the same. Everything is the same. And when you go out of there on, on Monday, you think, well, I'm okay now. Why? Because I did certain things. And because I did certain things, I'm okay. Well, listen, the circumcision that we are has dealt with the flesh. And those who deal with the flesh worship God in the spirit. They're spirit-led. So when you come here, you put your hands up and say, Lord, I just want to be led by your spirit. And if God says to you, you need to, you need to have a prophecy now. You'll be led by the spirit to have a prophecy. Or you've got something to share with the fellowship. You'll share with the, If you want to confess your faults with one another and pray for each other, you'll probably do that. You'll be led by the spirit. Who glory in Jesus Christ. You know, we can stand here and talk about all the thing, wonderful things that we've done in life. And, but, you know, this is not about us. I love it when Alan starts talking about um, God and and, and the wonderful things of God and and the things that we should be glorying in. We're glorying in Jesus Christ. He's the one we're bragging in. He's he's our friend. He's our hero. So when you come together, we're the fans. So if this was a, a group of people and we're Bronco fans and we all come together, what would you be focusing on? The Broncos. You'd be watching a Bronco match and you'd be all jumping out of your seats and going, yay, the Broncos, wouldn't you, Shelly? Yeah. you get really excited. you get quite vocal about it. You'd have a party about it and, and it would be a great time of gathering together. I mean, I was at the camp. I was, I was so encouraged at camp. Here I am sitting at 4 o'clock in the morning in the kitchen doing some Bible reading thinking, you know, here we are seeking God, you know, going to get some things on my crop when never, nobody's around, you know. And there, uh, there comes into the room um, Elliot. I think, oh, great man of God, Elliot's come to spend some time in the Lord with me. I was most, imp- most impressed. And then Renee, you came in, and I think sitting somewhere else reading. I thought, oh, the Spirit of God is bringing revival into this place. You know, these young people coming and seeking a lot. Then, then it was a few minutes later and Kez and, and uh, some of the other young ones came and I thought, James, were you there too? Did you come into the room? They, they said, well, we had all the youth group I said, This is revival. They're on there. They come to seek God. And then Shady came in. I thought, now this is really now starting to shake my rockers. Then the TV went on and the Broncos were on. (laughs) You laugh. (laughs) You think that's funny. Oh dear. (laughs) You know, that's the bottom line, you know. That's fans. That's fans for you. Fans. We glory in Jesus Christ. We glory in Christ Jesus. We are so captivated. You know, where is he going to be? Well, he's going to be at my place in the morning. I'll be there. Is he coming to your place on Saturday? Well, because he was always where I am, but we're going to actually be singing praises to him and talking to him on Sunday night, six o'clock at my place. We'll be there. Good time to have a fan meeting with Jesus. We glory in Christ Jesus. We come together on Sunday. Who's the focus point? Jesus is the focus point. Let's give him praise, give him glory. He's the focus point. Better than any club. And we put no confidence in the flesh. This is the way to build the foundations that have been destroyed, friends. Get on your knees before Jesus and ask, you to, ask him to give you a love for him that will bring obedience to your lives in spite of every trial. Get on your face before him and ask him to help you to live right no matter what is going on around you. Get into him and so love him that you love his word so you want to see like he sees things. So want to worship him and so adore him. When you come together, it's no longer a thing that you just do. It's just out of your heart. You just want to praise God. You want to lift up Jesus and brag about him everywhere and just have no confidence in the flesh. That's the way to build a foundation stone. That's the way to lay a new foundation for a new year. It's a way of thinking differently. If you do the things that you've always done, you'll do the same things and they'll get the same things. You've got to change some stuff. If the foundations have been shaken, you need to change some stuff. <clears throat> the third one is The devil. The oldest trick that the devil uses is doubt. It's it's the first thing that happened before anything else happened in the book of Genesis. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you read this in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, this was a talking snake. You see, was it a real snake or were, are we sort of talking at a metaphoric picture here? Are you going to believe this story? Was there really an Adam and Eve, Mark? Was there really a garden? Or is it just sort of a metaphorical picture, you know, created out there for us to sort of, sort of take some conclusions on? Where are you? I read it. It said there was an Adam and an Eve in a garden and a snake talked. That's enough for me. A talking snake. I can handle that. I can believe that. You can't believe that? You need to get some solid sound foundations down. I'm serious. What do you grasp? The world was created in seven days? Do you doubt that? You think God can't do that? We've got to get some solid foundations here. You know, the devil... The great thing in our society is called universal doubt. You learn it when you go to school. As soon as you write an essay and you say something that's sort of matter of fact, the teacher puts a circle around and says, where did you get that information? How do you know that that's true? From which book? Tell me the book that you got there. Because you can't say anything. You can't write anything. You don't know anything. You can't say factually anything. You have to support everything that you say with some sort of proof or some sort of reference or some sort of, you know, let's go back to some sort of source item. Universal doubt, it's all what science is built upon. Now, how do we know that it's true? How do we know that it's really true? We don't know that it's true. We've got to test it. We've got to prove it. We've got to prove it, prove it with empirical testing. We've got to test everything. We've got to doubt everything and establish something. As soon as we establish something, we've got to doubt what will be established because there is nothing that is permanent or founded or real. We've just got to guess at things and then at guessing at things, we've to say, well, maybe today it's this, but we don't know really if it's that. It's called universal doubt. Doubt everything, completely everything, and don't believe anything. And that's the wash that you've been brought up in. If you're in school today, that's the wash that you're going to go through in university, the things that they will tell you to believe are the things that you know are theories. You know, the facts are in the science is in global warming's happening. The facts are in the science is in climate change is all about you. We can put a movie put together and make you believe that, you know, the facts are in evolutionary we've found signs of, of life on Mars. The bottom line is you weren't there at the beginning and even they. They haven't guessed it and they've got their theory to support them. You've got the word of God in front of you. What are you going to do? They have to believe in their theory. What are you going to do? What are you going to believe in? Are you going to believe in God who said I created it? Or are you going to believe in a theory that man says it couldn't be God because we don't even conceive of there is a God. We don't want to believe that there is a God. We think that there is no God. So what are you going to believe? Everybody's believing something. What will you believe? That there's a talking snake? Well, you've got to believe something. And look at the world today. It looks to me like the snake has been talking. Look at how much brokenness and how much hurt and how much strife and how much evil there is today. It looks to me like the snake's been talking a lot. There was a talking snake and I firmly believe a snake came and talked. No question in my mind. Think I'm prude? That's your problem, not mine. You might even hear the snake talking to your ear too. This is what the snake said. The woman said to the snake, the snake said, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? Interesting, isn't it? Did God really say? Did God say that he created the earth in seven days? Did God say that there was a nation called Israel who was to follow him? Did God say that they were to go out of the land of Egypt and travel and open up the Red Sea and travel into the wilderness and fight off people like the Hittites? Did God say that? Yes, he said that. Oh, there's no such people as the Hittites. There's no record of them anywhere. Why would we believe such a story? Well, (laughs) guess what? They dug up the Hittite city. They dug up the Hittite by name city. So it validates all of that. Oh, well we have to change our view now. Do you believe in David, King David? Well there's no record of ever there being a King David. Why will we believe that Israel had a king called David? Oh, until we find the stones with his name engraved on it in archaeological discoveries. Why will we believe it? Because God said it. That's why we believe it. For no other reason. We believe it because God said it. Blind faith. Yes, it's blind faith for those who are who are believing everything? But it's quite rational if you think that God is the creator of all things, wants to communicate to you and tells you just how the way things are. He came out from his domain in the heavens and, and came into earth, clothing himself with flesh. This is far out. I mean, uh, aliens, or you know, it's all easier to believe the crazy stuff than it is to believe the truth. The devil says, Did God say? The first thing he wants you to do is to doubt every foundation that the word of God has laid in your life. Doubt it all. Throw it all away. Cast it all aside. Why don't you believe the nonsense that's coming from the world? Believe every idea and every theory that's being propagated just so you can do your immoral thing. Because if you believe there's a God, you have to believe there's a law of God. If you believe there's a law of God, you have to live right. eh? If you say, get rid of God, you can get rid of the moral restraint, then you can do whatever you want. did God say. And the woman said to the servant, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden in the garden." But God did say. So she actually God didn't actually tell her directly. He actually spoke to Adam and Adam had communicated correctly to to Eve, "You must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die." So God had actually communicated to Adam who had effectively communicated to Eve because she gave back the same message to the devil who was casting doubt on what, was, what God had commanded. She'd command, he, she reflected the command of God. So she knew the command of God. So what made her change? What makes us change? When we know what is the right thing to do, what makes us change so that we do the wrong thing? It's because you doubt. You doubt. You know, if we keep on deliberately sitting, it says in Hebrews, after we receive knowledge of the truth, there's no salvation after that, he says, you know. It's only a fearful expectation of the fires of hell. Hebrews ten tells us that. But I like my little sin. So, you're to die in your deliberate sin. Are you saved or unsaved? Don't answer the question. Let the Word of God answer it for you. Think about that. If you deliberately keep on sinning after you receive knowledge of the truth, the Bible says there's nothing, there's no salvation. You're facing now eternal damnation if you keep on doing that. That's what the Word of God says. But you know, you doubt that. Oh, the grace of God is so big. The grace of God is so forgiving. The grace of God is so encompassing. The grace of God will just cover us all up and we'll all be okay. We'll all be saved because of the grace of God. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, it says in Titus, and worldly passion. It tells us to put it away, not to do it. It tells us to put it away and to change. Doubt. Doubt. Doubt the word of God. Doubt the command of God. Doubt what God says. Doubt it, doubt it with everything in you and you will do the things that you don't want to do. You know you ought not do, you will do them because you doubt what God said. Yes, God told us not to eat of the tree. Yes, God told us not to even touch it. Yes, God told us if we touched it, we would die. The devil says, did he really? You will not surely die. Doubt. You can never build a foundation that is permanent and lasting in your life if you continue to doubt the word of God. You will not be able to reestablish the foundations that have been shaken if you will not believe the word of God and put faith in the word of God. You cannot build a solid foundation that will last from time into eternity and that will not be shaken no matter what happens if you doubt the word of God. And what the devil wants you to do is not to actually have a guard you and to tempt you. He just wants you to doubt the word of God. If you doubt the word of God, the temptation will get through. If you don't doubt the word of God, you will not be tempted. For the Lord God knows that when you eat of your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Part of it's true. You know the difference between good and evil. But it's not true. You won't be like God, you'll be like him, the devil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You know, when you doubt, you've got to come up with some sort of answer to the riddle. Did God create us? Were we made in the image of God? Is he the creator of the heavens and the earth and he's created us? If I doubt that, then what, how did I get here? Who am I? What's the meaning of my life? What purpose do I have in life? You know, if I doubt the truth, I've got to come up with an explanation of the situation. Oh, here's the tree. If I eat it, I will die. Doubt that. So now I can look at the tree with a new frame of mind. I'm enlightened. Oh, it looks good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. I'm enlightened. I can now make a judgment according to appearances, not with a righteous judgment, but an appearance. I can look and judge by things as they appear to be. I'm enlightened now. I can make a, a good assessment of this. I don't need God in my life telling me the parameters of my life any longer. I don't need any structures down and telling me what's right or wrong. I can make my own call. I can call right and wrong for myself. I can be the center of all things and I can determine for myself what's right and wrong. I can see that the good is got good food on it and it's nice to the eyes and it's uh, it's going to give me wisdom. Well, why wouldn't I eat of the tree? Well God said, not do I doubt that. I doubt that. So now do as I please. That's where we live. That's where Satan gets us every day. We are in this place and God says, We know that God says, Don't think those things. Set your mind on things above, not things below. He said, "Do not set your affections on these things. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. For the love of the world, the love of the Father is not in those who are loving the world and the things of the world." He says, "Do not have your affection here on this earth, but your affection on God." You know what? Yeah, well, maybe. You know, I think, I think, I doubt that, and I think that it's okay to have my affections on things as long as I don't have too much affectionate stuff on earth. You know, one bite of the worldly stuff is enough to kill you. One bite. One touch. God is telling us to keep out, to separate ourselves from this stuff, not to, to mingle ourselves. Yes, we're meant to be in the world, but not off the world. Doubt. It's okay. We can do this. It's all right. I can walk this line. For me, it's okay. It's okay. God says, you know, I can have relationships with my boyfriend, sexual relationship with my boyfriend before marriage and live cohabitably with him. Because I asked God and God said it was Okay. What book were you reading? Which one were you looking at when you read that? You see, we need to rebuild the things that have been shaken in our lives. The world, the flesh and the devil has done a good job at destroying the foundations of our lives in God. Destro- destroying the, the church, the vibrant light of God, which is... His purpose to display the manifold wisdom of God, it says in Ephesians chapter 3.10, that the church would display the manifold wisdom of God. Yeah. You know what we're doing? We're trying to tell people how to market Christianity through our churches. You know, it's all a marketing ploy. We went, we went from laying hands on the sick and the sick recovering and raising the dead and doing things that were of the spirit of God to marketing and music and, and, and putting out it out there in a the trim and slick way and saying, look, we must be right because we're really wealthy. What happened? What happened? Well, we don't see any dead raised. We don't see any eyes open blind. We see the world looking out and saying, well, look at their money. They must be doing it right." hey. Listen, Jesus had nothing to rub together. He died without anything. He just said nothing. He. Fit. What? What's the point? James tells us: consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And Satan knows that the hard times are going to shake you. So. James says to you, you know look, get a right attitude with regard to difficulty. This is going to be a difficult run you're in this side of life if you think about it, this side of life is, it's like a, it's like a, the introduction to eternal life. This is the pre, this is the, uh, the, the the trial run if you like what 's coming is eternal life, and eternal life is a lot longer than our eighty years here now if you, If you live to one hundred and eighty you 've lived a short life yeah. because i mean really. Eternity is a long time. It's longer than your span of life now. It's just the brief run that you're running through. And sometimes it's going to be difficult because you're going to lay a foundation that's out of this world and this world is going to tell you you're mad. It's going to tell Elliot that he's an idiot because he believes in Jesus. He's going to tell Elliot that he's a clown because he's going to live right. You know, The girls are going to come to Elliot and say, you're a very nice looking boy, why don't you come to my place? And Elliot's going to say, I'm going to live right. I'm going to live right before God. I'm going to keep my heart for Jesus and Jesus is going to have my heart and I'm going to do the right thing. And they're going to look at him and say, man, what are you doing, man? You have every opportunity. This girl, really, she's hot on you, you know? She's looking for you. Listen to me. That's the nature of the beast. And you're going to be considered dumb and stupid and idiotic because you don't take the opportunities that Satan throws at your feet. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you encounter the various trials. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. is says that's gold refined by fire. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is just a forerunner for eternity. We are just practicing for eternity. Get it in your mind. It's 80 years here and there if, you're, if you live long. If you live short, well done, it's better to die young in the Lord than to die old outside of faith in Jesus. But it's just the forerunner to, for you to get it right, to live with Jesus, to, to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. It's the knowing that testing your faith produces perseverance and perseverance so that you can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. You don't need to go to the, the tree to find out what wisdom is. I went to the tree of the knowledge of good and wisdom because she ate of the tree because it was going to give her wisdom. Well, I need to go and get a university degree so I can have the worldly wisdom. You can get a buy without it, you know. You can get there. It's okay to go there. But if you believe that trash and if you get sucked in by all that nonsense, you have lost wisdom. The secret is to maintain wisdom while you're in the midst of it so that you can discern where they're wrong and what is right. When my daughter went to do psychology, she'd come to me and she'd say, oh, this is what they're talking about in psychology. I said, can you see what they're saying? And we would discuss the roots of the theologies and the demonic ideas that were coming through to her through the humanism that was in the... We would discuss it. We would discuss the thing called diametric materialism. that was preached by Marxists. Lenin's ideals. We discuss humanistic ideas. You know, we discuss all the lies that were coming at her to, to convince her to leave her and abandon her faith in Jesus. You go to into university, you don't switch your head off, you switch it on to scripture and you take the scripture into university to teach them what the truth is because they don't know what the truth is. They think that wisdom gets from eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so they'll go through every little thing. You know, really, you know, we're thinking that, oh, you know, maybe we thought before but now we're thinking that this, you know, whatever is wise, well, we're all wise because we're all so intelligent. You know, there are many intelligent fools going to hell. Wisdom is not about the world telling you how to think of the accumulation of knowledge, the accumulation of information, the accumulation of degrees. Wisdom is fearing God and doing justly. Amen. Amen. And If you want to have wisdom, come to Jesus. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. That means you have to, at that very point, become different to your society. You have to stop thinking what your society thinks, that everything should be questioned. You should just take up the word of God and say, God, if you said, I'm going to believe it. I read it, That said, you said that, you know, there it is, and I'm believing it. Settles it for me, I'm not going to question that. Oh, you blind, stupid person. Yep. That's your opinion of me. But that's not God's opinion of me. And I can handle your opinion of me. One day you'll probably kill me because of my beliefs. But that's okay. Because I will rise again. And you can't kill me. (coughs) But he who asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, is blown and tossed by every wind. The man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And like I told you at the beginning of this book of Hebrews, all about warnings. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 tells us, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. And the idea of drifting away is an interesting metaphor Paul or the writer to the Hebrews has used a metaphor which is a sailor's metaphor to drift away is the idea of cutting off the anchor. You know, It's like you have a boat and, the, and they, they put the anchor down and no matter how rough the seas are, because the anchor is down there, the boat stays. It may drift over this way, it may drift back this way, it may drift over this way, but because the anchor is there, it doesn't matter, it's safe. You cut the anchor and as soon as the wind blows, you started to shift. You cut the anchor and as soon as the wind blows and the tide shifts, you are moved away from your bearing. You are now adrift on a sea of ideas that is going everywhere what's the anchor of our life the anchor of our life is the word of god it's the anchor of life that gives us bearing it gives us stability it gives us a place you keep the anchor in the word of god you keep your, your your solid foundation in the word of god it doesn't matter where the world blows doesn't matter what goes on in your life you will not move because the anchor is there he says pay careful attention church pay careful attention be more careful this year than you've ever been before to make sure that your anchor is in. Because if you drift, you will not escape if you lose such a great salvation. God has not got a little box on the side for little people that he's fond of. Daniel, I'm fond of you. You can do whatever you like, Danielle. Be naughty and, and, and wicked to your mum and, and be a horrible little person and it doesn't matter because you're one of God's favourites. And in the end, you'll get there to Jesus. Some of us think that, you know. We think that we're okay with, you know, we're, we're God's favorite. You know, we can do whatever we like, we can get away with it, you know. You need to pay special and careful attention that you do not drift away from the foundations that you have received in the Word of God. The world, the flesh, and the devil are at you, they are trying to undermine your foundations, they are trying to take you away. The world of are there to try and stop you from praying and asking Jesus to help you. The flesh is there trying to take you away from focusing in on the spirit and celebrating Jesus and just focusing on yourself. And the devil is there trying to bring universal doubt so you don't have your faith in, in God. They are still there. They're going to stay. We're not going to get rid of those. If you want to build the foundations that do not shift, if you want to rebuild those desolations, if you want to rebuild the ruins, you need to get strong. You need to deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil to do that. This year we're going to do that. We're going to lay some foundations which are going to require us to really dig in deep into God's Word and to understand why we believe what we believe and to be unashamed about that. We're going to go through and do that this year, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that your word has been to us. I ask, oh God, that you would help us to understand your word, to live it, to be it, to eat it. Lord, to thrive in it, to love it, Lord, that we should just glorify in you, Father, through your word and come to know you so much better. Help us to deal decisively, Father, with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Help us not to be hoodwinked, Father, by a society that's lost its way. Help us to be part of the solution to this problem, Father, and help us to shine the light to those that are lost. We ask in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said,